G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as analog televisions? Just yesterday I received the sad news that a wonderful lady I knew has passed away. And I know that many people ask themselves, what happens when you die? What does the Bible teach that happens when you die? To understand this well, we need to have a look at what the philosopher Plato taught about anthropological dualism. Anthropological dualism simply means that man consists of two parts. Anthropos is the Greek word for man, and duo means two. So, anthropological dualism means man consisting of two parts. Plato wrote that man consists of two parts. He said that there was a physical component and a spiritual component, which he stated was immortal. And when the physical component dies, the spiritual component is liberated and goes into the spirit world, and there it continues to live forever. Now, this idea that Plato thought has been incorporated into many of the world's belief systems. For example, many Christians today believe that when you die, your soul leaves your body and it either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. Some people today believe that the soul gets recycled. So essentially, when you die, your soul leaves this body and enters into the body of another animal or another human. This is quite common in Buddhism and Hinduism, for example. They believe that after a number of cycles, if the soul was really good, it can be liberated into the spirit world where they become one with the spirit God. Another thing that many people believe happens when you die is they believe you simply die and cease to be. The Bible teaches something called anthropological monism. This is the idea that the spirit and the body are joined together and they make one whole, and that this is inseparable. But does it really matter? You say tomato, I say tomato. Isn't this kind of the same thing? At the end of the day, what happens when you die will happen when you die. The reason why this is very important that we understand it correctly is not so much that we have a correct understanding of what happens when you die, because that will happen regardless of what you believe. The more important reason is that it leads us to a correct understanding about the character of God. Now, to understand this concept properly, we need to look at what is life. We're told in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Here we get the equation for life. Essentially, there was dust. To this was added the breath of God, and dust combined with the breath of God made a living soul. Man was not a living soul prior to this. It wasn't like there was a bunch of living souls floating around throughout the space and God was like, oh, gotcha, you're going in here. No, no, that's not at all what happened. We are told that the dust and the breath of God together, they made 
a living soul. Now, I have an illustration. Imagine that you're switching on a light. When you flip the switch, the current runs through the wire and gets to the globe and causes it to turn on. We also see that the equation for life can work in reverse. We're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 22, verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So here we have the equation in reverse. Essentially, we have life, and we remove the breath of God, and this leaves the dust. Once you remove the breath of God from the life, all that remains is the dust. It's like switching the power off. The light simply ceases to be. It doesn't go on to light heaven or exist in another place. No, it simply ceases to be. And you may be saying, okay, Marius, I'm getting this idea, but is there any more verses to support this belief? And the answer to that is, yes, there are many more verses to support this idea. But before we look at them, I'd just like to tell you what I plan to do when I go to heaven. The first thing I plan to do when I go to heaven is to thank Jesus for what he has done for me. Now, let's have a look at what David said about death. He writes in Psalms chapter 6, verse 5, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Essentially, what David is saying here is that when you die, you can't give thanks to God. Now, I know that there'll be many people that when they eventually get to heaven, the first thing they want to do is give thanks to Jesus. What David is telling us here is that in the grave, you cannot give thanks to Jesus. He says this again in Psalms chapter 115, verse 17. He says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Not only do you not give thanks to God, once you've gone into the grave, but you can't praise him either when you're dead. Isaiah echoes the same thing. He says, For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praises. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. And many people may say, Hang on a minute, Marius. I thought the soul was immortal. Isn't the soul immortal? We'll find out just after this song. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, oh Make 
Is it relevant today? I'm Marius Jigao, and today we're looking at what happens when you die. We've so far discovered that once we die, we cannot praise or even thank God. In the grave, no one can do this. But many of us have heard that the soul is immortal. Doesn't the Bible teach that? Or has this idea entered into the church through Plato's thinking? Let's have a look at what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Starting in verse 15, it says, Which the Lord God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? This is obviously clearly speaking about God. Notice the next four words in verse 16. It says, Who alone is immortal and who dwells in unapproachable light. Now, I want to ask you, according to these verses, who is the only one who is immortal? Well, we're told that God alone is immortal. And many people may be asking, well, hang on, what about our soul? Isn't our soul also immortal? In Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20, it says, the soul who sins shall die. Now, I think this is pretty straightforward. The soul is obviously not immortal because the soul who sins shall die. Now, if then we are not immortal, where do we go? What happens when we die? We're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, it says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished. Here again, we're told what it's like in the grave. Now, I know that my grandmother loved me deeply. In fact, I was really, really close to her. I called her Mama. And I'm sure that if she went straight to heaven, she would still love me There. However, here we're told that when someone dies, when they are in the grave, their love and their hate, it disappears. Now, if we don't go straight to heaven, where do we go? What does the Bible say about death? I love the way that the Bible refers to death. The Bible speaks about death as being asleep. Now, I really love it because... It's such an innocuous thing. I love to sleep. 
I love to go and have a nap. Whenever I can, I don't get the chance to do it very often. But when I do get the chance, I love it. Now, I usually wake up two or three times during the night, but I fall back asleep really, really easily. And when I wake up, I look at my phone and it's like 1am. I put my head back down and I'm out like a rock. I fall asleep almost instantly. And then I wake up again and I look at my phone and it's 5am. The Bible refers to death as asleep. Something that's even pleasant. So let's have a look. Where do we get this idea of death being asleep? If we look at John chapter 11, we find the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus has gotten sick and he was a good friend of Jesus's. And when his sisters realized that he was sick, they asked Jesus to come. They simply said to him, him whom you love is sick. They didn't even say to him, oh, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Can you come and heal him? They knew that Jesus loved Lazarus so much and they assumed that as soon as he heard that he was sick, he would come over straight away and heal him. However, Jesus didn't come right away. Jesus waited where he was for a few more days. And then he came. Now notice what he says to his disciples before that. He says, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I'm going that I may wake him up. Now, I love the way the disciples respond to him. With this almost childish innocence, they said to him, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Here, the disciples are speaking to the creator of the universe, the master healer trying to teach him about health. Oh, if you're sick, you'll sleep and you'll get well. But Jesus says to them, Lazarus is dead. Now, Lazarus had been dead for a number of days. In fact, Lazarus had died and been dead for four days. And the reason that Jesus waited for four days is because of Plato. The Platonic thinking had infiltrated even into the Jewish way of thinking. Essentially, what they taught at the time is that when you die, your soul leaves the body and it hangs around for another three days and tries to enter back into the body. But after these three days, the body begins to decompose and the soul is like, Ugh, this is stinky. I'm out of here, right? Now, this is why Jesus waited for four days. He wanted people not to think that, oh, maybe the soul was hanging around and entered the body. No, he wanted everyone to have absolutely no doubt that Lazarus was dead. However, when he was dead, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Now, this isn't the only place where you find death referred to as a sleep. I had a quick search and found 36 instances in the Bible where death is referred to as a sleep. And that's a quick search. I'm sure there are probably many more. But let's have a look at a few of those. David writes, my God, enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. Here, death is clearly referred to as a sleep. In 1 Kings, when David actually dies, it says, Then David slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David. Now, David hadn't just fallen asleep, and the people took him and buried him alive, right? No, the sleep that it's speaking about is the sleep of death. Again, we find when it's speaking about the stoning of Stephen, 
he stoned for his belief in Jesus. And he's dying. He cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, we're told he fell asleep. Stephen didn't go and have a nap as people were throwing stones at him to kill him. No, the sleep that it's speaking about here is the sleep of death. In fact, the very next verse says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. And you may say, hang on a minute, Marius. If we sleep, then we don't go straight to heaven? Well, then when do we go to heaven? I'm sure the Bible speaks about us going to heaven at some point. We'll explore this just after this song. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigao, and today we're looking at what happens when you die. We've discovered that once we die, we cannot praise or thank God, but all of our thoughts, they cease to be. We've also discovered that the Bible clearly states that God alone is immortal, and that the soul who sins shall die. We've also found out that the Bible describes death as asleep. And we're now looking at, what about heaven? When do we go to heaven? I'm sure the Bible speaks about this. Let's have a look in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. 
which says, For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Here we are told that we have two distinct groups. We are told of one group who will be raised to the resurrection of life, and we're told of another group who will be raised to the resurrection of condemnation. Now let's have a look at those who will be raised to the resurrection of life. We find this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Paul writes, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now I'm just going to pause there for a second. What kind of sleep is he talking about here? He's obviously talking about death, right? You don't sorrow for someone who's just gone for a nap, right? My wife doesn't go to sleep and I'm like, oh no, she's gone to sleep. No, he's speaking about death. He continues saying, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So here we find out that this is speaking about the group that John wrote about who will be raised to the resurrection of life. And it continues saying, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. What he says here is that there will be a group of people who will still be alive when Jesus returns. Now, I believe we're very close to the return of Jesus, and I believe that many of us alive today will be part of this group. Some people will never experience death. This is what Paul is writing about here. He's saying that those who are asleep, those who have died, they don't have to worry that those who haven't died are going to go to heaven before them. He continues saying, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What Paul is telling us here is that those who are alive and those who have fallen asleep and are in the grave, they will be raised up together, and we will all go to heaven together when Jesus returns. Some people, however, say, hang on a minute, Marius, what about the thief on the cross? Didn't Jesus say, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise? We'll have a look at this verse just after this song. To the depths of the sea Creations revealing your majesty From the colors of fall To the fragrance of spring
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? I'm Marius Jigao and today we're looking at what happens when you die. We've discovered that the Bible describes death as a sleep where there is no remembrance of anything. We've also discovered that the Bible tells us that we will remain in this state of sleep until Jesus returns to take us to heaven. But many say, well, hang on a minute. What about the thief on the cross? Didn't Jesus promise him he will be with him in paradise that day? If we have a look in Luke 23 verse 43, it appears quite clear. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How does one explain this? We need to understand how the Bible was written. When the Bible was written, there was no punctuation. There were no commas or full stops. The comma was something that was introduced later. But the comma wasn't there in the original text. Now, punctuation can make a huge difference to the meaning of a text. I saw this example, which I thought was really neat. It says, a woman without her man is nothing. Now, I can safely say that as my wife isn't here. Now, we're going to change the punctuation of that sentence just a little bit. And let's have a look what it sounds like. A woman, without her, man is nothing. Do you see how the exact same words, the meaning has been completely reversed simply by changing the punctuation? I saw this on a magazine. Rachel Ray finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. Now, I think they forgot to put a comma, right? I think what they were trying to say is Rachel Ray finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. This is a similar issue to what we find in Luke chapter 23. If we put the comma before the word today, it reads, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. However, if we change the comma and put it after today, the phrase looks very different. It says, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The today in this case applies to when Jesus is saying it, not to when he will be with him in paradise. But you may ask, well, how do we know? I mean, you may say, yes, this suits your way of thinking, but the other way may suit a different way of thinking. How do we know which one is true? The way we know which one is true is we look at the surrounding verses. The Bible tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We can't just take one verse and make our ideas formed on one single verse. We need to see what the rest of the Bible teaches. If we look in John chapter 20, verses 16 to 17, it says, speaking about Jesus' resurrection, Jesus says to Mary, after he has risen from the dead, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Essentially what Jesus is saying after he had raised from the dead is, hang on a minute Mary, don't hold on to me, I have yet to go to heaven. Now Jesus died on Friday night, he was buried on Friday night, he stayed in the grave all of the Sabbath and he was raised on Sunday morning. Now this verse sheds a little bit of light on what's going on. Jesus could not have promised the thief on the cross that he will be with him that day in heaven as Jesus wasn't going to heaven that day. Jesus wouldn't be going to heaven until Sunday. 
the correct way of interpreting Jesus' response to the thief on the cross has to be, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Because interpreting it the other way, that Jesus is telling him he will be with him that day in paradise, would make Jesus a liar. There are many other verses which support the idea that one doesn't go straight to heaven, but they wait until Jesus returns. One of my favorites is found in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. And many people miss this. I completely missed this for a long time until I was actually preparing this talk. These verses read, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was speaking to his disciples just a few days before he was going to die. He was trying to comfort them. And what he said to them is, don't worry, I am going to prepare a place for you. I can only imagine his disciples would have been excited. And they probably asked themselves, I wonder when we'll get to this place that he's going to prepare for us. And Jesus continues by saying, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus would take them to the place he prepared for them when he came again. This idea is found in the Bible again and again and again. In John chapter 6 verse 39 it says, This is the will of the Father who sent me that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Jesus is saying that those who sleep the sleep of death will be raised at the last day. Again in verse 40 it says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again in verse 54 where it's speaking about communion, he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Even Martha, when she was speaking about Lazarus, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. We find this term again and again and again. So, is grandma watching down from heaven? No. She's asleep. She's awaiting the resurrection. Now stay with us after this song and we'll wrap it up. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming Great help I've come And I hope 
by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood Oh that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood washed linen how I'll sing thy sovereign grace Come my Lord, no longer tarry Take my ransom soul away Send thine angels now to carry Me to realms of endless day How great a debtor Daily I am constrained to be Let thy goodness Like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigao and today we're looking at what happens when you die. We've discovered that the Bible describes death as a sleep where there is no remembrance of anything. We've also discovered that the Bible tells us that we remain in this state of sleep until Jesus returns to take us to heaven. This means that Grandma isn't watching down from heaven, thankfully. According to what we've seen in the Bible, the resurrection will occur at the last day. So when we look at the idea of dualism and monism, which one is correct? Does the Bible support the idea that the mind and body are distinct, non-identical entities? No. The Bible supports the idea that the mind and body are manifestations of a single substance. They cannot exist outside of each other. I mentioned at the beginning that understanding of this is critical. Not so much to make sure we have the correct belief about the afterlife, because what happens in the afterlife will happen in the afterlife, whether you believe correctly or not. Why this is critical for our understanding is because it shapes our understanding of the character of God. It changes the way we look at God. Let's have a look at the most well-known verse in the Bible. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you are believing in dualism, 
If you're believing that the soul is already immortal, this poses a problem to the character of God. Because what God is saying here is that there are two options. One option is to perish. The other option is to be given eternal life. Is God trying to manipulate us by telling us that he'll give us eternal life when we already have eternal life, if our soul was immortal? Is Jesus trying to trick us? No, of course not. The other part of this verse that poses a problem to the character of God is that it says, they shall not perish, but have eternal life. One option is to perish. Now, this brings us to the question of how many people believe that hell is a place of eternal conscious torment. Now, this seems to clash with the idea of perish, which we just read before. The idea of eternal conscious torment is a complete and utter injustice to the character of God. The idea of an eternally burning hell comes from Platonic thinking comes from the idea that the soul is immortal, while the Bible clearly teaches that the soul who sins shall die. Imagine that someone's dog came and bit me, and I got really mad. And what I did is, I caught this dog, and I put it in a cage in my house, where I heated a piece of metal red hot and burnt this dog every 10 minutes for a period of two years. What would you think of me? You think that this person is despicable. This person is evil. However, most of us think that God will do much, much more than this to those who haven't accepted him. Think about this. If the idea of dualism is correct and the soul is immortal, someone will be taken to an eternally burning hell where they will burn consciously suffering forever and ever, right? Much worse than one could ever do by torturing an animal or a human today. Think about it. After they've been there for 8,000 years, they've just begun. After they've been there for 23 million years, suffering and screaming while pleading to be allowed to die, they've just begun. And after 376 billion years, they've just begun. There's no end in sight. Is this fit with the idea of a loving God? No, not at all. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And some people say to me, hang on, Marius, you don't believe in hell? I thought the Bible speaks of a place called hell. My response is not, I do believe in hell. My hell is just much hotter than most other people's. In hell is a place where the wicked will perish. David says to us, a little while longer and the wicked will be no more. Though you will look for them, they will not be found. David supports the idea that the wicked will be no more. They will perish, just as John 3.16 says. I was looking on the internet for instruments of torture in the Middle Ages, and I was surprised to discover that almost every single one of them was developed by the church. The church of the time developed these instruments of torture because of their misguided belief in anthropological dualism. Their thinking was like this. If God is going to burn someone throughout eternity, there's nothing wrong with me torturing them a little now, right? 
especially if you think that I'm going to torture you a little bit now, and hopefully you'll accept my religion while I'm torturing you, and then you don't have to go to hell. Their thinking was actually quite reasonable. Think about it. If I'm going to burn you for a little bit now and torture you for a few weeks, isn't that much better than going to hell where you will burn forever? The way that one understands the character of God shapes the way we behave to others. The Bible does not teach of a place of eternal conscious torment. The Bible clearly tells us that the soul who sins shall die. David writes, The wicked perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. We're told that the wages of sin is death. But we're also told that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is not a monster. God loves us deeply. God does not take pleasure in torturing people. God wants to give us eternal life. All we have to do is believe. I want to ask you today, do you want to accept this free gift that Jesus is offering you? I don't know about you, but this is something that I want to accept in my life. We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including the one we've just been talking about called What Happens When You Die? We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigal. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day. I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd Watching over my soul My soul to keep guarding over me ever Watching wherever I go And when the winds blow my shelter when I'm lost and alone He rescues me and when the lion comes He is my victory constantly watching over me He is constantly watching over me children and he is our father watching over our soul great is his love for his sons and his daughters watching wherever we go and when the shelter when I'm lost and alone he rescues me when the lion comes he is my victory constantly watching over me
constantly watching over me when the winds blow he is my shelter when I'm lost and alone he rescues me when the lion comes he is my victory constantly watching over me he is constantly watching over me
You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love